Today's scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 2, and may be found on page 1196 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. James 2. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, um, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. (laughs) Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Karen. Good morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for bringing us into your presence, and we do pray now that you would be present, that you would help us to see your majesty in this text, 
Transform us, Lord, that we may love you more, serve you better, and run to the nations with the gospel. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, yeah, tomorrow I get to go to camp again, uh, this time with the middle schoolers. And uh, last week uh, we were at camp with the high school students up in uh, Georgia on Lookout Mountain where Covenant College is. And we had a really good time. And uh, it was a really good week, a lot of good learning. But there was this one incident, we could call it, a, uh, a moment that I won't soon forget. Uh, I was, all of a sudden, some students ran in to where I was, in the room where I was, and they said, there's a big problem. And I said, oh boy, <laughs> what is it? And they said, we think Kyle Delk, and you probably know him or his family, Kyle Delk broke his finger. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome, because last year his brother knocked his tooth out. But anyway, I said, okay, well, we better get him in here and have the nurse take a look at it. So Kyle comes in, and he's holding his finger, and it's just clear that he was in excruciating pain. And uh, he shows us his hand, and yeah, it's pretty obvious there was a big problem with that hand. So the nurse said, we better go to the emergency room, and we uh, then took him to the emergency room and uh, were able to further find out uh, from the x-ray that, yes, there was indeed a big problem with Kyle's finger. Now, I'm going to show you this. So if you don't like this kind of stuff, look away. Problem. Ultimately, what happened is Kyle was playing volleyball or some weird game that they hit the ball at each other. I don't get it. But anyway, um, they're playing volleyball, and he swung about as hard as he could, missed the ball, hit Brad Turner's head, and, um, and that was the result. He's okay, though. Uh, just don't shake his right hand for a while. Um, So, you know, I find out there's this problem. I can see, yeah, it looks like there's a problem. And then there's, you know, it's clear as a bell when we see the x-ray. There's a big problem here. And, uh, and that's how life uh, works. That's how God uh, speaks to us sometimes. Uh, and, and that's what James is doing for us here in chapter 2. He's bursting in the room and he's saying, there's a big problem. There's a huge problem with the faith that some of the people in the church worldwide and even our church right here, a problem that some of us have. And ultimately, he leads us to ask us this question, is our faith useless? Is your faith useless? If so, that's a very big problem. But... And what we're going to do now is we're going to look at James chapter 2, or at least we're going to focus on the second part of it. And we're going to see as we look even deeper in Scripture and turn that back on ourselves and see the way we behave, we can start to see the x-ray of our spiritual health and see whether or not our faith is dead or alive, whether it is useless or not. Because ultimately, the main thing that James wants us to see and that I want you to see today from the second chapter of James is that faith without action, is useless. It's dead. It cannot save you. And that would be a big problem. So here's how we're going to do this. Um, we're going to talk about three different things. First, we're going to clear away some of the confusion 
James uses the word justified, and he seemingly uses it in a little different way than Paul uses it, and to show that there's no contradiction. Uh, first, we'll start by clearing away the confusion, and then we need to talk about uh, having a confession without a commitment to obedience to Christ. So we'll talk about having a confession without commitment. And then finally, we'll consider the weight of Christ. Let's pray. Father, just be with us now. We pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see in this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's clear away the confusion. Um, James and Paul use the same word, but differently. And if you've never seen this before... uh, I need to warn you, it kind of, and when I first saw this, I was like, whoa, there's a little crisis of faith there because they don't seem to be saying the same thing. Take a look at Romans 3.28. Paul says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Okay? He's saying we, by faith alone, apart from what we do. And then James comes along in 2 verse 24 and he says, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And at first glance, if you haven't come to understand this, that can be kind of scary because it looks like the Bible contradicts itself. And the good news is it doesn't. Let me explain how this works. First, let's talk about what justification is, the theological doctrine of justification by faith alone. God, in his grace, accepts two things from Jesus in our place or on our behalf. When we have faith in Christ, God accepts the punishment that Christ experienced on the cross in place of our being punished on the cross. That's one thing. And through that, we're forgiven. The second thing is God accepts the righteousness that Christ built up and and lived out in his life on our behalf. So all our sins are paid for by Christ and we're given the righteousness of Christ in justification. And Paul and the whole of Scripture makes it very clear that that is by faith alone. What we do has nothing to do with it. So how do we make sense of what James says? Well, there's two different ways in which the word justification is used in the New Testament. Paul uses it in the way that I was just describing, being made right with God. To be justified or to justify someone is to make or declare them just. And that is what God does when we put our faith in Christ. James is using using a different sense of the word justified. He's using it in the way that it is to demonstrate that someone has been made right with God. So Paul's talking about being made right with God, and James is talking about being shown to have been made right with God. Now, if you want to see this, uh, you can turn to Luke 7.35, because it's the other... There's another time where this word justified is used in the New Testament in the sense that James is using it. You know who said it? Jesus. And he's talking, and what he says is, wisdom is proved right by her children. Listen, wisdom is proved right by her children. Now, we can talk about what he meant some other time, but the point is, he used the word justified, and it's the same to, to prove or to justify. It's the same sense that James is using. And so there's these two different senses. Paul is talking about being declared just. And James is talking about being shown to have been made right with God. Does that make sense? Okay. So 
with that out of the way, uh, we can move on to talking about confession without commitment. And if you think about it, James is absolutely right. How can we possibly prove to anybody that we believe that the Bible is true, that Jesus is God, that he died for us? How can we believe, how can we show that we believe this stuff? You could say it all you want, but the reality is the proof is how we live our lives and how we respond to knowing what God has done for us. Look at uh, verse 14 through 17. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Let me bring this into our time period. In the first century, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. That was something, that was a greeting or a salutation that people would offer sometimes when you know, they were leaving or parting ways. Uh, in, in, in our day and age, we might say something a little different. And here's, here's the scenario. Here's the scene. Someone from our church that we know and love shows up and says they have these, these needs. And it would be one of us just simply being like this. Boy, that's rough. Good luck with that. And what James is saying is that if your faith would allow you to stand there and not do anything about meeting the physical needs of that person, that brother or sister in Christ, your faith is dead. He's saying that the words, just saying some nice words doesn't do anything. And I love the way he does this. It's, it's, it's brilliant because he shows that it, neither of these are good, the, the, the claim to faith or just saying nice words. Think about this. What does it do for someone... If you just say, boy, uh, good luck with that. What does that do for them? What good is that? It's absolutely worthless. And in the same way, he says, for you to say, I have faith in Christ, but then do nothing. That's worthless too. Is this harsh? Yeah. Is it absolutely necessary? James thinks so. So we must think so as well. You know, chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, James kind of peppers the whole section there with all of these little tests of faith, things that can help us determine whether or not we have living faith or not. If you remember last week when Seth was preaching on chapter 1, he mentioned a bunch of things. And in verse 12, uh, he talks about being blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. So if you persevere under trial, that's because you have a living faith. If trials are crushing you, You do not have a living faith. How about 1 verse 19, reaction to circumstances? Do we turn to the word or do we try to figure things out on our own? 1 verse 22, he talks about not just hearing, anybody can do that, but doing. Are we doing the things that God commands? If so, we do have a living faith. In verse 26, he talks about controlling the tongue. In verse 27, he talks about visiting orphans and widows. And he also talks about being unspotted by the world. And then, of course, in the whole first section of chapter 2 here, he talks about favoritism and how it's a sin. And it all leads up to this giant 
bomb that explodes. As we realize, James is saying to us, if our faith in Christ does not compel us to act like Christ, it is dead. It is useless. Now, he's not looking for perfection. Okay, that's clear. We won't be perfect until Jesus has returned and made us perfect. But if our faith does not compel us to do Christ-like things, to be like the one who redeemed us, our faith is dead. Should we make it worse? Let's do that. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 is uh, pretty scary. Uh, James says, you believe there is one God. Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. Let me explain to you what he's doing here. Uh, One of the the most important doctrines of Christian theology and therefore Old Testament Israelite theology as well is the fact that God is one. In Deuteronomy 6, we see the Shema where it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what James is doing here is basically saying, oh, you've got good doctrine. Oh, you can answer catechism questions. Awesome. So can the demons. Think about this. In Luke 8, we see Jesus healing the demon-possessed man. And when Jesus shows up, the demon-possessed man falls down at Jesus' feet and says, what? He says, Jesus, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Don't torture me. He knew exactly who Jesus was. I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller in which he referred to Jonathan Edwards, who points out that nobody knows more about God than demons. Think about that. They went to seminary in God's presence. They were in God's very presence before they fell. So they know and they believe everything. They believe all the, everything that's true about God and the Bible. And so ultimately what we're seeing here is that you can believe the facts about Jesus and the gospel, that he died, that he rose again, that he's the son of God. You can believe the facts of the gospel without embracing Jesus as Lord. That's what the demons fail to do. They confess that Jesus is the Son of God, but they refuse to commit their entire existence to serving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Master. Now, did they obey? Yeah, think about it. He told them to go to the herd of pigs, and they did. But they didn't obey because they love him or they're grateful for what he's done. Grateful for what he's done. They obeyed because they're absolutely petrified of him. They are so scared of the power of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's why James says, you know, they know doctrine, but they shudder. They're deathly afraid. Keller also says that every Christian needs to kind of ask themselves, are you obeying because you love Jesus or are you really just afraid? Listen, James wants us to know that talk is cheap. We can say anything we want about what we believe, but the reality is if our actions don't back it up, then our faith isn't real. James knows this. James was there when Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
away from me, you evildoers. James was also there when Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands in John 14. And also he said that true disciples are the ones who are obeying Jesus' commands in John 8. And of course, we can't forget Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about when he returns in glory, the sheep, the true believers, and the goats, the false believers, will be separated based on what they say? No. Based on how they treated people in need. Now, again, let me be clear. We are not made right with God. We are not saved by what we do. But what we do proves whether or not we have truly received Christ as both our Lord and Savior. You can't can't expect to show up on Judgment Day and stand before God who is our father but is our judge, and say something like this. Yeah, God, um, yeah, I didn't do a whole lot of what you said in the book. But I believe that Jesus died for me, so we're good, right? Because the proof that you didn't believe Jesus died for your sins will be in the fact that you didn't live accordingly. Francis Chan has a... uh, illustration that I'm going to borrow. And what he shows us is this. It's like this. We forget that God is a judge. And so we think sometimes it's like we're at the Olympics and the judges are in the front row and here goes the act and and we jump up onto the balance beam and this is our act. I'm going to just do what is only required so it looks like I'm on the right thing here. I'm not going to take any big chances. I'm definitely not going to sacrifice anything. I'm um, just going to kind of do this thing, and then pretty soon it'll be over. And then, ta-da! He's a judge! He's a judge, and you expect him to say, after a life of no good deeds, wow, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not going to happen. And you need to realize that. If your faith is not leading you into action, if you are not doing the things that Scripture is calling you to do, your faith is dead. And God wants you alive. So what? So what do we do? What if you're sitting there realizing, as I hope maybe some of you are, that you've said you believe, but your life doesn't reflect it. What are you supposed to do? It's right here. In the text, we need to consider the weight of Christ. Let me tell you what that means. When we translate the word glory into English from the original languages, the only one of the nuances, one of the uh, senses that gets missed is the fact that glory has weight. We think of luminosity or, or shining brightness or fame, but, but glory has weight to it. When we are in God's presence, we will physically feel the weight of his glory. And Jesus is absolutely glorious. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. James sets this all in motion by saying, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Other translations say, My brothers, as believers in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
But however you word it, the point is he wants us to be considering how glorious, how weighty Christ is. Think about this. Look at verses 20 through 26. James says, you foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered, not made righteous, but considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Listen, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, faith without deeds is dead. Think about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute and the spies show up and they... uh, you know, they're asking for help. How does she, she, she says, I believe. I believe your God is God. How does she prove it? Just by saying that? I believe it, guys. See ya. Good luck. No, she risks her life. She hides them. She takes care of the Hebrew spies because she believes that their God is God. And she proves thereby that she had faith. Now talk about Abraham. In Genesis 15, we learn that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But how do we know? Yes, the Bible says he believed and therefore we know it's true. But in addition to that, how do we know Abraham believed? Well, James thinks we should flip to Genesis 22 and recall the account where he offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. I have a 16-month-old son and I can't imagine being asked to do this, but Abraham was... God said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your one and only son. I want you to march him up a mountain and I want you to plunge a knife into his chest and then burn him as an offering to me. Here's how you know Abraham believed God. The next morning he got up early and he took his son and he marched him up the mountain and he laid him on the altar and he raised the dagger and at just the right moment, The angel of the Lord cried out to him and said, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And there was a ram provided in the bush for the sacrifice instead of his son Isaac. Now, that is written there not for God's sake. God knows everything. He knew. It's written there for us to know. Now we know, too, that Abraham feared God, believed God, trusted God, has faith in God. So Abraham's son is spared and his his faith is proven. And then I love this. Look at verse 23. Abraham was called God's friend. Abraham proved how much he how much faith he had in God, how much he loved God, and God calls him his friend. So why is Jesus so glorious because Jesus is the one who took our place on the altar you see thousands of years later because because everybody deserves to die because everybody deserves to be slaughtered but also because God is so merciful and so loving 
And because Jesus is so glorious, God marched his one and only son up a mountain and raised the dagger, but he didn't stop. He didn't provide a ram. He plunged it down into his son, Jesus. We call that the crucifixion. And the most amazing thing is Jesus was in on it. Jesus was willing to do this. He carried his own cross. Jesus willingly took the wrath of God the Father upon himself to prove to you how much he loves you, how much he loves me. Jesus' love was justified by what he did. Jesus' love is justified, proven, demonstrated by this ultimate sacrifice that he made in our stead. And that makes Jesus glorious. And he did it. So that you and I would know that he's the truest friend anybody could ever have. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. My friends, if you are realizing you are walking around with dead faith, I implore you to talk to the prayer partners we'll have at the sides under the crosses. Don't walk around with dead faith anymore. Come alive. Let us help you do that. My friends, consider the weight, the glory of Christ. And as you consider the fact that he laid himself on the altar in your place and died for your sins, you will find the strength you need to live for him. And as you are living for him and doing these things that you are called to do, you will start to feel that assurance knowing that your faith is alive as Jesus is alive and that you possess not a dead but a saving faith, a transforming faith. Let's pray. Father, We all want a living faith, and you are the only one who can give us that. Help us to consider, to cherish, to ponder, to bathe in the gloriousness of our Savior Jesus, that that would compel us to living out the gospel, that East Orlando would see that the world would see that the nations would be glad. We pray all these things in the matchless name of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.